This week's episode is very special and we are proud to announce you that our dear government is doing a great help for us and they, um, they sent Mr. Mustafa here as the overseer to, um, so that we don't make any mistakes during our podcast. We are, we are very happy to have Mustafa as our new government overseer for Istanbul Boom. Uh, we welcome him to the journalism profession and we're sure he's going to make the show just even better. And I have to say, since Mustafa is here... Everything is much clearer. Like until today, I had doubts about understanding the world. With Mustafa, it's very clear. I realize I realize there are things that we were that we were perhaps saying in our old episodes that weren't enlightened. Yes, but Mustafa changed this whole thing. Mustafa set us straight. He's the shining path. Thank you, Mustafa. Yes, Mustafa. So as normal, we usually start with the news. Let's let's start with the news, Yusuf. Yeah. Um, this week, something very important happened. Um, you know the third bridge that's being built? It's the, uh, it passed a very important milestone. Ah. The construction is 75% done. Wow. And I have to point out that the third bridge is the widest medium-length medium bridge with a train track going over it. In the world? In the world. Amazing. It's really amazing, right? I'm, I'm told that the third bridge is a, a feat of engineering and will reduce traffic problems in Istanbul. Not that there's huge problems. But no, if traffic, there were traffic problems, it would... Yeah, traffic is normally, um, it flows quite easily in Istanbul, but with the third bridge, first of all, you will be able to take a really long detour. If there's traffic, it's because people really would like to visit here. Yeah, because it's yeah, a that's tourism. why. Yeah. Yeah. And with the new one, you will be able to cross from Kadiköy to Taksim via the Black Sea, and which will allow you to see the beautiful forest and the historic sites. Now, when the government uh, took power 10 years ago, was there a bridge like this? No. There were only two bridges with no train tracks going on top of them. Let alone the largest, what is it? The widest middle, <laughs> the widest mid-length bridge with a train track on it. In the world? In the world. Also in the Balkans. <laughs> also today, um, this week we celebrated the 62nd birthday of um, President Erdogan. Happy happy birthday, Baba Jim. Happy birthday, Baba Jim, yes. It was a it was a great celebration. We had a party, a Istanbul Boom party here. We did. It Mustafa is. Mustafa brought the cake. Thank you, yeah, Mustafa. Yeah, Mustafa brought the cake and yeah, and the iron. <laughs> <laughs> and school children sang songs. Yes. They did. <laughs> they did. With flowers. With their, <laughs> with their voices pure as pure as angels. Almost. Or daylight. Daylight, yeah. Angels in daylight. <laughs> and also, another very important um, Turkey-related news is Prime Minister Davutoglu um, un unwe unveiled his new plan to protect doctors. Because um, even though Turkey is such a great place, there had been isolated incidents of patients attacking their doctors. And we don't know if the patients were Turkish or evil foreigners. Yeah, the, I mean, most likely they weren't Turkish. I, I, I mean, they could have been part of the interest lobby. They could have been part of the they could be conspiracy. They, they, they were probably Gulenist patients, yes. But anyway, they were attacking these doctors, and there were a couple of bad incidents. So he's passing, um, that was all he's passing. Attacking them how? There were incidents, it was physical, actually. Really? But, but I mean, physical isn't that important, but they were insulting them, which is... With their mouths. With their mouths, yeah. with, with their words. And that's unacceptable. 
I can understand somebody punching a doctor, but it's not. No, it's yeah. ridiculous. And now, um, yes, those wounds don't heal. Yeah, it's you know, it's in your soul. Sticks and stones. And uh, Mr. Da- Prime Minister Davutoglu's new plan is people who insult doctors will be arrested. That's a great law. I, I think so too. It's a great law. I mean, I don't know why every country doesn't have that law. I mean, I, I think they do actually. It's a yeah, very, actually, it's a, in right, the West, yeah. it's very common. I'm looking. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's do right. Yes. Yeah. Every country it's has every that. country yeah. has it. Yeah. Yes. In America, there's a um, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we do, we do, we need to protect doctors. It's very important. Um, you need a strong government to protect doctors. You need a strong government, and you need a strong presidential From, system. You do need, a, yeah, exactly. Otherwise, the healthcare will not work. Yes. Insulted doctors cannot take your temperature. So next week we will have a doctor on to speak about how yes, Dr. Cornelius how, how, <laughs> how safe Turkey is becoming and how much safer it would be under a strong presidential, presidential system. system. Yes, and yeah, I, I think that cancer will be cured. And or AIDS, like in Egypt. But there is no AIDS in Turkey, Turkey at all. So they can't cure it. Sorry. There's no AIDS. There's not AIDS here. I'm just an ignorant visitor. Yeah. I mean, obviously. (laughs) Because we all know that AIDS is... Only homosexual people have AIDS. Not even everyone. Um, Mustafa says they're fine. Okay. But anyway. Um, Also, there was the EU deal. Yes. And Turkey again won a big victory against the European... um, imperialists and got every single thing it wanted yes um it's about through hard but fair negotiations through hard but very fair very negotiations fair. which um mr davutoglu against called it a kaiseri style negotiation which kaiseri it's a it's basically anatolian jedi mind trick that how does that work can you well it, can we can we role play oh sure yes so i'm the eu i only want to give you two billion dollars what and, do you do? And so I say, I tell you. This is the Kaiser mind trick. Yes. I first remind you about the three million people that are right by the border gate to Greece waiting. And I have the key for the door. There's a door? There's a door, the border gate. It's a key. And I have the key. And I tell you, and I convince you with moving my fingers like this, that if that two million is not six million or six billion, those two million people waiting will not be waiting anymore. So I give you eight billion. Yes. And, and I give you and a free visas carpet. for every man, woman, and, and baby. I give you, I throw in a free carpet to them. <laughs> Turkish style. And just, it's just because it's you. Yeah. Only for you. Like if it was the Americas, this wouldn't work. No way. So thank you, Mustafa. Yes, Mustafa is He'll be with us every week, um, and we hope that he never leaves and that he lives until he's 105, at least. Which he obviously will, because of the great health care. And doctors, the free, un, of, free un, of fear. Free of insults. So this week's guest is Maria Abi Habib from, from Lebanon. Living from Live from Lebanon. Live from Lebanon. And by the way, this show is taped in front of a live audience. And Maria is live from Lebanon. So it's, <laughs> it's a real live, o- live show. This <laughs> With an international audience. Yeah. 
Assyrian, two Americans. International-ish. You guys have to make noise or no one will believe that you're here. <laughs> Come on, we paid you that much money. A little bit more enthusiasm. Come on. <laughs> So our guest, Maria, is one of the best journalists working in the Middle East. She's based in Beirut, but she has come all the way to Istanbul just to appear on this podcast. Welcome, Maria. Thank you. What accolades? As you may know, you are sitting in a PKK-proof, ISIS-proof, DHKPC-proof, Gulen-proof bunker in the center of Istanbul. You are free to speak your mind. Except for the location, obviously, of this safe bunker. So what are we talking about tonight, fellas? Well, we were thinking we would speak about the sort of sad anniversary this week of the Syrian revolution, civil war. What do we say when we say it's the five-year anniversary? And the five years of choosing between devils. So this is, this is like this, this coming week will be five years since the, since the protest started in Dara, right? That's correct. And you've been covering this since since when? Uh, only three years ago. And how much better has the situation gotten in those three years? <laughs> um, well, evidently, it's gotten worse and worse every day, and surprised us every day with how much worse it's gotten. I like I, I don't know I remember I remember like the f- the first, second, and third anniversaries. I was like very paying attention, and I, I like I was like timing articles to go with them, you know, like mm-hmm. news pegs. And then this time I just forgot. Oh, wow. And then I saw I saw some of them and I was like, fuck, five years of this, really? Five it's like, years. It's just endless. It is endless. And hopefully, I don't know, will it be another five years? Will it be another 15? Will it be 15 maybe? Who knows? But people, so people ask me that though. I get, I get emails like from friends at home being like, how much, how much longer are you going to be out there? Like how, how much longer is this war? And I'm like, what's the answer? I, I, I sort of just always say forever, but. Well, I mean, the sad thing is that if you could look at like the Lebanon model, right, which is a totally different civil war and different circumstances and everything and different set of players, although a lot of similar players because that was very much a regional war. But the thing is, is that even though the Lebanese civil war ended 26 years ago, um, at the end of the day, there was no peace and reconciliation deal, really. And all of the people who, you know, stayed on top, um, they just uh, traded traded in their fatigues for suits so right. uh, the corruption problems we have in Lebanon are very much a part of the fact that we didn't ban any of the players who were you know big players in the civil war from holding office so now you know they just kind of consider Lebanon their stomping ground and you guys like you Lebanon correspondents still make a living of writing like Lebanon's about to collapse articles all the time no because it's like always about to collapse no but <laughs> you know you know actually Lebanon has a lot of resilience because actually all of the people, all of the you know, uh, war criminals, they don't want to see their investments um, go to shit, right? So they have an interest in keeping the stability, like stoking the sectarian flames to maintain their popularity, but they don't want to see things really collapse because they want to protect their, their investments. So, so, so, you, so you and I, you were at, we were in Geneva together a couple mm, years ago, remember? First time we met. Yeah. yeah. And those were some of the worst days of my life. Um, yeah, intercon, <laughs> intercon hell, which is where everything was happening. But that was like that was like the big, the last big effort at like a a peace deal that was just a flaming pile of shit in the end. But now now there's like you know the ceasefire and there's all these talks 
from the U.S. and from Russia and from the U.N. saying they're going to restart the peace process. Like, how are you seeing it? Any any chance for for peace? For something? Well, I mean, the thing is, is that like Assad's basically, you know, rolling back a lot of the opposition. So at this point, it's like I don't know. It's like. like I mean, you have like knives, knives to various people's necks. It's is that peace? Right. Like, is is is peace for for Assad and the Russians just like winning? Like, like I almost feel like sometimes when the U.S. is talking about a peace deal and the Assad and the Russians are like, it means two different things. Like, the U.S. is talking about negotiations and Assad's like, yeah, well, when we win, it'll just be peace, right? Like, yeah, right. Because I mean, everybody he's fighting apparently is terrorists. Yeah. I mean, that's how he's framed it, right? So. And they're winning. I mean, if you set that through the that lens, which is you know a false lens because the opposition is filled with various people, ISIS or you know FSA or people who you know just have never held a weapon in their life, only signs. But if you paint everybody with a terrorist brush, then yeah, I guess you're winning. <laughs> in terms of the war of words, but the thing is, is that if you if you fought to stay on top of a country that's basically disintegrated and all of the, you know, most beautiful cities have been destroyed, then is that really peace? I mean, you're not really ruling much of a country that people really envied. Yeah. I mean, Syria was a place that people, you know, thought were, was a beautiful country, you know, six years ago. I don't know. So from like a Lebanon perspective, are you like, what, yeah, like what, what is like the, what's like the best case scenario? Oh gosh, the best case scenario. I would hope it's not the Lebanon perspective, but the thing is, is that it might be. I don't know. I mean, the problem is, is that the, this is this is the biggest, well, one of the biggest casualties of any civil war is that all of the good people end up leaving because they're not willing to do what it takes to actually come out on top. They're not willing to kill people. So all of the like really good, pure-hearted people leave because, or they're killed off because they're not going to do what it takes to right. survive, which is start, you know, getting your hands dirty with blood. So that's the biggest casualty in a lot of ways um, of these civil wars is that you're just basically decimating your your brain, brain trust, not to mention like, you know, innocent lives lost, of course. But, you know, Lebanon, for instance, it never really recovered from the civil war because all the best people left and started businesses or, you know, whatever it is abroad and that's what we've suffered from is a brain drain or you know the deaths of all of our best people do people come back i mean in the 25 years that lebanon has been at peace which is you know i mean yeah people come back get frustrated leave because you know corruption ends up in a lot of ways becoming even worse after the civil war because then you have lots of I mean even if the country started off being incredibly corrupt if there's a civil war then you have all these reconstruction projects lots of money to rebuild the country and corruption tends to get worse so people get frustrated and just kind of turn their backs forever so okay. here is this week's song by the great Misharif Akai Turkiyam Turkiyam Cennetim it's a great song talking about how great this beautiful, great country is. Mm-hmm. 
Muşihanet Bütün yüreklerde Açı ve nefret Düşmanların mert değil Hepsi de namert Türk'e Türk'ten başka yoktur Dost nimet Kahraman ırkıma Sızmış ihanet Bütün yüreklerde Açı ve nefret Düşmanların mert değil Hepsi de namert Türk'e Türk'ten başka yoktur Dost nimet Akanın verdiği İlkelerle coşalım Onun gösterdiği Hedeflere koşalım Akanın verdiği İlkelerle coşalım Onun gösterdiği Hedeflere koşalım Türkiye'm, Türkiye'm Cennetim Benim eşsiz milletim Türkiye'm, Türkiye'm song dear listeners now my cuba plan i think right so so istanbul boom is not above being completely inside baseball and obscure so i actually want to bring up something that uh maria wrote a very excellent post on an 
a Facebook group used by journalists who cover Syria. Talk about obscure. <laughs> but, but, but actually, you brought up a really good point. Like it was, uh, you, you, were, you were complaining that, that journalists, uh, some journalists have started to, to pay sources for information uh, with Syria, and that's become like a major problem for the honest ones among us who don't do that. Yeah. So basically, I was just down in Urfa. Um, I just got back to Istanbul like a day so yesterday. So you were down on the border, right? Yeah, I was down on the border. Um, I came back to Istanbul yesterday. And um, I mean, work has just gotten... So I've been on maternity leave for eight months or so now. And um, I mean, it was already kind of getting hard to work down there. But I guess because information has just become much harder to come by. and um, Yeah, so things like things are dangerous in Syria, so yeah. we can't really go, right? We can, can't but it's, it's, it's, it's, a, it's like a huge pain in the ass. Yeah. And dangerous. And now even like... For the last year, at least, like even the border has become the Turkish border, which is where all the refugees and all the smugglers mm -hmm. and all the, the fighters are when they're not in Syria. That's become dangerous, too. Right. Sure. And murky yeah. and weird. And yeah, and, and I mean, it's sense that you don't really know, like the person is promising you a interview with an ISIS defector, for instance, is actually. Um, Right. Uh, a defector or somebody like they're paying off their cousin to pretend that they're a defector right. and talk to you so that you'll continue working with them. Or um, maybe they're not even an ISIS defector. They're actually still with ISIS and want to kidnap you. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's a, like it's, a thousand things you have yeah. to think about when you're exactly. There. It's it's a mixed bag of tricks. So there's that. And then but apparently certain journalists um, have been paying, uh, you know, sums that are completely insane. But first, first of all, so, I mean, to pay anything is unethical. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like to you don't anything. you don't pay for information as a journalist because that makes it not journalism anymore. Like. Yeah. There's because... a there's like a basic there's a basic principle behind journalism which is, people are trying to get a message out or get the truth out ideally, and they're speaking to you and you're having this interaction with them and it's motivated only by the desire to get information out. Right? Exactly. So they might try and exaggerate a story. So that right. They, I mean, they may be trying to, you know, fuck their boss or fuck their enemies or, yeah, exactly. or whatever. Or they may just be trying to tell you the truth, ideally. But whatever it is, like, they want the information out. Right? And at the end of the day, I mean, like, journalism is an interesting job because it's difficult. So, yeah. you know, fine, you can spend, you know, $200 or $500 or some of the amounts I heard were $12,000 or $24,000 um, uh, for an interview. But at the end of the day, I mean, that's just easy. Like, why not go for like the, the challenge of trying to convince yeah. somebody to well, speak to you because, you know, they want to try and better their country, um, I mean, not their pocket momentarily. It's easy. It's easier to get the interview, but it's, it's actually much harder to get good information that way. Exactly. Well, like this is the other thing. So first it's unethical and you're, you're, you're a joke if you do it, right? Exactly. If you're paying. Um, and I actually think that in the in the profession we need to start calling journalists who pay uh, Johns. No, interesting. Um, but, good idea. Yeah. I agree. But aside from that, aside from like the ethical stuff and the have some self respect stuff, mm -hmm. um, you're going to get bad information. Yeah. Most likely, yeah. I mean, you you make it as a journalist. You're always trying to sift through bad information anyway. But if someone is, if, if you're out there with a with your checkbook open, mm -hmm. saying, "Find me an ISIS fighter." You're going to find an ISIS fighter because your checkbook's open. And yeah. you're most likely going to find someone who's not an ISIS fighter who just wants your money. Exactly. Whereas if you're down there, if you're down there really trying to find someone, like 
if for someone to meet you and say they're an ISIS fighter, and if there's if there's no incentive for them to lie for money, then they just have to really feel like wasting your time, basically. Yeah. You know, to lie is, is much less likely to happen. Exactly. Another thing is, like, you know, with the children, what I find really gross is that, you know, right now, like, the hot story is ISIS child soldiers. Um, and from what I've seen is that a lot of these children are unaware that people are, like, that's the hot story. So people are paying upwards of, you know, $1,000 per child. Ugh, and wow. it's it's kind of it's, it's weird. Just, these are fucking journal. These are supposed to be yeah, journalists, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And it's weird because it's like because there are these middlemen who are like you know, I'll I'll introduce you some, to, to some children if you pay me one thousand dollars per child, and it just sounds like perverted. You know it is I mean? perverted. I mean, and these children yeah. don't know what the fuck's going on. I mean, they're sitting there and they're just like. Hey, like yes, you know, I uh, like what am I doing here? And literally, you'll sit with them in the order like one of the child soldiers I sat with was ordered a chocolate milkshake with big old dollop of whipped cream on top, and it was just like I don't know. And this and this guy, I had convinced him, I was like, I'm not going to pay you anything for the child because first of all, this child is is really in need, and it seems like you're pretty well fed because you're pretty portly. But if anything, I'd pay that money to the child, not you. Not saying that I would pay at all. But, you know, I mean, the children are just totally unaware. And that, to me, is really perverted because the children yeah. just are the ones that need the support the most. And you have these, like, gross middlemen who are, are trying to profit off of these children who can't stick up for themselves. I mean, it's like I, I feel like every time I go down to the border now and I'm trying to do any kind of work, I end up just losing days of my time mm. because people – like, so a couple weeks ago or, no, last month, Someone came out of Syria and had a laptop with him and some memory cards. <laughs> and a contact of mine called me and is like, I got this guy with this laptop. He said it belonged to a foreign fighter. Would you like to see it? And I said, if this guy is trying to sell it, because this is exactly the kind of shit that, that always has a price tag on it, right? Please don't, please, please don't bother me with it, you know? Oh, I heard about this when I was in the border. Yeah, no, it's been on the market. And it was right when the guy got out of Syria. Mm. Um, when I when I was down because I was down there like a month ago, so I I go I go like around and around with the with the person who was trying to introduce me to this person being like if he wants money don't like please don't bother me, and he said no you can meet him he's he doesn't want money he just wants to like help Syria blah blah, blah. so I sit down with this guy at a cafe, we're like surrounded by people that seem like they're Turkish intelligence you know great and then literally someone behind me with one eye. Oh wow! Who was like I was? I, I mean, Mullah Omar himself. Yeah, like it was like it was like too stupid. I, I'm sure it was just a poor guy that I was just afraid of for no reason. But you know, <laughs> yeah, did yeah, yeah, I? But like it's like you know, and I go through this whole thing, and I sit down, and I'm like looking at the computer, and I'm like, okay, can I? You know, let me let me take this. I'll go through it, and then I'll like I'll do an article, and the guy's like, oh no, of course I want like at least like ten thousand dollars for this. He said that ten thousand. He didn't say the number. He was like, you have to pay me for this, and I was like. See you later, you know, like this, this whole dodgy situation, this whole thing. And, I, and it's just like, you know, thanks for your time. And then it's because it's because they're meeting journalists constantly mm. who are putting up the charade of, oh, I'm just an honest journalist. Like and they're and they're using it as like a negotiating 
tactic. So they think when I tell them I'm not going to pay that I'm negotiating, actually. Mm -hmm. They don't actually believe that I'm not going to pay. Like, they're like, oh, but everyone's paid. And, I, and like, you know, the border is full of stories of people giving $6,000 to interview a defector, for example. Yeah. And you're like, no, I'm a print so, journalist. So they, so they actually, no, no, print, no, print journalists paying too. It's, oh it's, it's God. really, it's not just the TV hacks. That's depressing. And it's like you, you really, you can't, you can't have an honest relationship with people anymore. And that's, that's, I mean, I, I read this in your post. Like, you know, it's just every now, even the journalists who were honest down there, who were just trying to do their work, everything's tainted by the idea of like there's going to be some compensation down there. Yeah. And like we said earlier, you know, it's five month, five years of, of civil war. Like people in Syria are desperate and I appreciate that and understand it. And it's like, I feel like journalists are, <gasps> are just desperate, take, are desperate and are taking advantage of Syrians and yeah. just trying to act basically like, like, you know, broke. Syrians are desperate. Journalists are desperate yeah. because it's been you know five years of just like complete despair. And how do you spin an interesting story out of despair? It's difficult. So they're willing to pay. And and watch, you, like you said, you heard about the computer, right? Sure enough, for sure, within the next couple of months, you will see an exclusive somewhere about a computer from a foreign fighter. And what what was on this computer? I don't know. Give me an idea. No, no, I don't know. We didn't we didn't have time to look through it because. But the what guy, did he say? I mean, he said like, it was a computer of a Russian fighter, and that they he thought there were documents of uh, of ISIS members and stuff on it. It's the in, same thing. ISIS members and what? On it. Like oh, I, on ISIS it. information of, of jihads and stuff. Was this maybe what was then that appeared in Sky News? No. I, I, well, I don't know. Because really, that, that, that, that meeting went five minutes. Because it was weird and because the guy asked for money. And then I just told him, I, didn't, I mean, I, I'm never going to tell anybody to go fuck themselves. That's like a, hmm. you know, in a, in a sketchy meeting on the border. But I was like, I, I have, to, you know, I actually said to the guy, listen, I'm trying to just, I can, you, give me the computer if you want to. Tell, tell the truth about Syria, that's it. And he actually said, I don't care about Syria, I just want to make money. That was like the exact words of the and guy. And he was a Syrian guy? No. Ooh, <laughs> Turkish? <laughs> He's not Syrian. But the, like uh, a random question. Yeah, Stolen so, computer from... <laughs> so, it's a legitimate question. So, but, but, but so beyond this, though, more like a, maybe a month and a half, two months ago, I also got a call from someone who is marketing... Um, files of, of people who were entering ISIS at a border crossing. The same thing that was published last week. Now I can't say, huh? Guy? Yeah, I, I mean I, the same the, the same stuff that was published in Sky News uh. and other outlets last week was offered to me a month and a half or more ago, huh. and I, by by people who who who were who were blatant saying. Listen, we know you probably don't want this, but like this is this is we have this. It's on the market, and I was like, I'm sure I'll see it on television, you know. And sure enough, a month and a half later, there it is. I, I mean, I don't know if they paid for it or not, but I. I but mean, it was very clear when that came out of Syria a month and a half ago that it was being it was on the market. Problem is, is that like, what are these stories really doing to further our knowledge of either what's going on in Syria, what's going on with ISIS? or what ISIS means to the rest of the world. It's like, I mean, to pay money for a bunch of ISIS forms where various fighters have filled in their name and age and no, you know, the fact that they're from, I don't know, Aleppo, Aleppo City or Birmingham. I mean, okay, yes, do I wish that I had had that story, of course, without paying for it? Fine. But the thing is, is that 
it's not furthering our knowledge about this organization. Um, so to it's make a big splash of it and also pay for it is just kind of, I don't know, it's, it's very curious to me. I just don't quite understand why people would go out of their way for these incredibly sensational stories that don't really tell us much more than we already know. Yeah, like, I, I, I so, mean, it's a good point. I, I, do, I do think people are sort of losing sight of, like, what you're supposed to actually be doing as a journalist in Syria, right? Like, like, the, pe- like the, the documents are useful from, like, an intelligence perspective. Yeah, sure. yeah agreed. But, like, but and like, the Germans already had it, apparently. Yeah, the intelligence already has it. Yeah, tonight we have a first in, in Istanbul. Boom. You're going to get going to get calls from our viewers, um, our listeners. So you can call us at plus nine zero five three seven two four five eight five six eight. Um, you can call us for international calls. It's one eight hundred four four four eight one boom boom. Okay, the lines are open. Lines are open. Ah. Oh, ah, oh. our first color. <laughs> Wow. Hello. Hello. Hello, Boom Boom. May Hi. I help you? I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of your show, actually. I've been listening to all of your episodes and I repeat them all night. How nice. That's, and Yusuf, I just great. want to tell you, like, I like the way you say Boom Boom. Really? Can you say it five times just for... Okay, just because you're our first color, so sure. Boom Boom Boom Boom Boom. Ooh. Oh, that, that was so nice. And I want to tell you, like, all of my friends on Tora Bora, like, love this show, so it's just... All, all your friends on Twitter. Yeah, but, like, I, I actually have two questions. It's sure. like, the first question is, uh, I've been trying to find this Nemat Kebab shop in Talabashi Boulevard, and I could not find it, so can I provide an exact address for so it? So you want to meet Mehmet? I want to go for Mehmet and stay for the kebab. <laughs> no, you, you don't do that, though. So what did I do? You, you go for the kebab, stay for the Mehmet. What are you going to spend? I'll be happy either way. But and my, my second question is like, I also have been searching all over Facebook for Ankara Boom Boom, that competition thing you've been talking about. And uh, Ankara Boom Boom co- is a fake. They're frauds. It's, it's a scheme. It's a money-taking scheme because they, they take no donations. Integrity. They Don't take, believe anything that you hear about us from them. They pay for they pay for their sources. They pay for guests. They, yes, they they take our guests. They pay sources. They abuse animals. Well, but I think it's they some eat sort babies of, for breakfast. I, I, yeah, I mean Whoa. that could be true, but I think this is some sort of imaginary competition because I could not find their show or Facebook page or it's YouTube. Account. Well, because the Google rankings, when you type in Istanbul podcast, they go right to us. All right. Because well, we have millions of viewers around the globe. Well, while they're only known locally in two neighbors of Ankara. That doesn't matter if you have competition or not. I just like the way you say boom boom. And thank you. Thank you, caller. So, um, so another thing going on is these press attacks on the press, even in America, in that Trump release, right? They, they, Trump's security guys beat up a photographer, Chris Miller, time, time photographer, and. Yeah, it There's seems more, like it's like a re- it's like it's a weekly thing now. Yeah, it happens it's all like the time. Reporters are getting assaulted at. I, I think he's like he's like there's like a press pan, like an area for the press, and like he points at them and makes mm-hmm. jokes about the journalists, right? Yeah, there's that. He says these are the most dishonest people, terrible people. Then his um, campaign manager, uh, apparently, allegedly, all those other caveats, assaulted a Breitbart reporter. 
Brett Part's like a very, very conservative blog that's actually quite pro-Trump. The journalist complained, and it, you know, it's alleged that her editors did not stand by her and actually tried to silence other reporters, apparently, from expressing sympathy for her on Twitter. And their spokesperson actually resigned um, over the issue, saying that Brett Bart editors were not protecting their journalist because they wanted Trump to win and not make him look bad. Um, so, so, but what I mean, the fuck's going on? I don't know. But the thing is, is that it really, you know, I mean, thing is, is that like the U.S. is like this this pinnacle of free press. So, what does that mean for the rest of the world, right? Especially in in places where journalists are locked up for just stating opposition, which is basically every place that we work. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, it's like... What candle can we hold up? You know what I mean? Like when this is happening in in the places that, you know, we, uh, our institutions are based out of. Yeah. Or in the place, the U.S. Yusuf, what do you think? You're watching, you're watching Americans... Just fucking eat themselves alive all of a sudden. I didn't want to talk about Trump anymore. <laughs> no, forget Trump. It's like, you know, the, the, the, I mean, this I, is, I, I, I have to say, I'm, wa- I'm watching Trump and I'm seeing tactics that I see used in this part of the world all the time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. To it. Like, demonize the media because you don't, you want your supporters just to listen to you, basically. Yeah. Tell them not to believe what, they, what they're hearing. Yeah. Tell them that these people are against you and that they're elite and blah blah blah. And like they're terrible people and dishonest people and they're lying to you and yeah. And and and you know he was saying I even uh, a couple days ago if if the vote in Florida or wherever they were having the primary if I don't win it's because it's rigged. Mm-hmm. You tell you, you you're telling your supporters that, and then you're telling them that the media is not trustworthy. So when you actually lose, if you lose, and it's going to be carried in the press, what actually happened, you can then inform them whatever you want, and they're going to believe it because you've conditioned them that way. This is very similar to the situation in Turkey, right? It's, it's like the pro-government press is good. Anti-government press is always cooking up a conspiracy. And foreign media is anti-Turkish because they're foreign. Yeah. I mean, and that's it. I mean, in, and then you can only trust like the pro-government press. In in in Turkey, it's part of the problem is that the anti-government press often is going crazy. That is, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not like they never cook conspiracies either. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but but you're. Yeah. There's no middle road. That's the problem. There's nobody who's just doing it to do it because they believe in like, you know, that there needs to be somebody writing history as it's happening. The thing is, very rarely. I I, I think in America there is. No, I'm saying I'm saying that in our region. In our region, no. Yeah. No, I mean like when I look at Lebanon, which is my home country, it's like every single paper is owned by Right, you know, ahead of one party or another party, and same thing goes with the TV channels, and same thing happens here and in Syria and wherever else. I mean, Egypt, right? Like, you, were, did you cover Egypt? Yeah, I the did. Coup? I didn't cover. I covered the coup. Yeah, I covered yeah. the coup. Against but the, the, the coup was like such a perfect example of the government controlling the media oh, yeah. to control public opinion. Oh yeah. So it was like when when they decided that the army was going to take control. You know, there's there's all these. Uh, newspapers that are like um, sort of 
run by the gov- the army, run by the intelligence service, like behind the scenes. Like they put their people in power and they mm-hmm. sort of just have them there, right? Yeah. Private newspapers, not just state newspapers. And it was like, you have, you, you have people in positions like that for when you need them, right? And then it's, it's coup time, you know? We need, <laughs> we need the public to support this. We need you. And it was like, every day you could see the private and public media in Egypt getting more and more rabid, mm-hmm. supporting the coup and being against the Brotherhood and against anybody who supported the Brotherhood. And as a reporter, you're, if you're watching the, the media and then you're going to speak to people on the streets, which is our, part of our job, you're seeing that they're, that they're spouting whatever is being said in the media day by day. Mm-hmm. So however the media narrative is changing, so are the people mm-hmm. on the street. And as part of that, in Egypt, like um, at one point, after they had sort of silenced all the dissent, um, locally, then they started saying, and the foreign media is evil, and they're against Egypt, and yeah. blah, blah, blah, because they know that that's an independent voice that may somehow filter down to the people that they're trying to convince in Egypt, so we need to demonize them. We can't stop them from writing what they're writing, although they you know, can intimidate them, but we need to demonize them. And that was like a constant theme in the pro-government media during the coup, and, and it was like, it worked. You yeah, know? it did. It went almost. Over, it went overnight from the foreign media being something that was tolerated. The foreign media being something that was part of some conspiracy against the government. If you spoke to a regular Egyptian, mm-hmm. and then they started giving foreigners hard times about visas and kicking foreign journalists out of the country. And now it's like, oh yeah, you know, a nightmare to work in Egypt. But the thing that, that's so scary is that it's like, is people really believe what's being fed to them? So I mean, when we were covering the coup in Egypt, um, my husband who. Um, is a photojournalist. He and I were covering it, but, you know, in separate camps. Um, so at the end of the day, we came back to the hotel we were staying at and we exchanged stories about w- how crazy our day was. And he said that, I mean, covering covering the coup was just insane because there was just checkpoints and mohabbarats everywhere, intelligence yeah. everywhere. And, um, and so you kept being... You know, you were stopped every, let's say, four or five hundred meters by an intelligence officer, and you, know, you went through the whole rigmarole of what are you doing here? Do you have your papers? So my husband, American citizen with residency in Lebanon, gets stopped by an intelligence officer, and he starts. He looks through his passport, sees his Lebanese residency, and starts speaking to him in Hebrew. And <laughs> and Brian, my husband, goes, "Wait, sorry, what?" Are you, what is going on? You know, speaking to him in Arabic because Brian speaks pretty good Arabic, and the intelligence officer is like, you know, saying, um, "Come on, I know you speak Hebrew. I know you're a Zionist agent." And Brian says, he looks at him and he said, "Habibi, like, the country that I live in has never has never signed a peace treaty with Israel. Your country has. Your defense minister <laughs> sits down with Israel's defense minister every Friday. And the intelligence officer got really, really upset. But this is what's going on through their mind. Everything is a Zionist, you know, conspiracy theory. But yet they're the one of the only countries in the Middle East that's created yeah. a peace deal with Israel. But it's just the lies that they feed but to themselves. But it's being pushed by the media, right? Like- well, it's being pushed by the media because they're a government mouthpiece. Yeah, and, and the government wants that because they want to discredit independent challenges to 
their information they're putting out. Yeah, so therefore everything is either like a Zionist conspiracy theory or an Iranian so, right. or Hezbollah or whatever it is so, they want to so, blame. So to see, to see Trump putting, doing the same thing, very, I mean, I think if you're someone in America, you, you're not necessarily equating it with like CC because you're not paying attention that closely to how CC controlled the media three years ago. You know, but like to see it as a reporter here, watch it happen in the U.S. is pretty fucking creepy. Um, yeah, it is because I mean, at the end of the day, you know, uh, the founding fathers of the U.S. said that that was going to be the the you know fifth estate was the protection, but um, I, of I, democracy. And I, but I, I think I think that tr that Trump has basically made the same calculation that like CC had made and others have made which is yeah okay it's enshrined in the by the founders like we're the, the press is going to be there we can't get rid of it you just discredit it and demonize it to the point that it doesn't matter anymore to the people that you're trying to influence yeah and it works it and i think works that's like the really scary thing it works beautifully I mean, what were some amazing things that came out in Egyptian press? Like this machine that would cure AIDS, right? It's gonna be, it's gonna be released so in just ten oh, months. Man. So it, was, it was a kebab. And that was like after the fact where I just got. Yeah, you eat. Uh, no, come on, it's not kefta. They don't have kefta. It's it was uh, what was it? What is their what is their thing that they have? Um, what is it called? that dish anyway it slips my mind right now but it's street food that they love um, oh I know what you're talking uh, about it's the lentils and rice and oh it's no, it's no, gonna it's kill not, me yeah it, what is it called it's pasta too right yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. like um, pasta and, and lentils <laughs> Koshiri. Yep. There you go. Koshiri. That's right. So, so you eat koshiri and you get cured of AIDS. And bada bing, bada boom, everybody's happy. And then what else was it? Oh, the sharks. There was that yeah. shark story. What was it? The Zionist sharks were attacking Egypt or something. Oh, yeah. I, I actually remember. I mean, that was just that insane. one. Though, that one. <laughs> that, that, that, that one. Was I thought that they kept on prison. So. That one I thought was true though. Oh, <laughs> Oh, my, my, my club's proving conspiracy theories. I don't know. Those sharks did seem to be Zionist. I mean, you never know. Of course, it's possible. You remember the bird that was in jail? What was it? Huh? They jailed a bird. No. Well, they did jail like a two-year-old for committing murder. No, but they, no, that they, they kid wasn't in Egypt. He was, he was sentenced in absentia. And oh, he was also a right. murderer. Yeah. Apologies. So it's, but you know what the bird was? So that, they, was a, that was a two-year-old they, they bloodthirsty killer. They, they catched this bird with like a tracking device. It's like probably used by some university or something to track migration of birds. They catch the bird and they automatically decide it's obviously is right, a spy bird. Mm -hmm. And they put the bird on the prison cell. I'm serious. <laughs> I keep the bird in the prison cell for a couple of days. What? And then they realize like they it's a gift that just keeps on giving. There's a picture I mean, of the bird. Like you I can't, saw a picture of it in, a, in prison. You can't make it up. I mean, literally, like, I mean, Cece goes to open up, what was it? There was some sort of social welfare event. He was opening up some housing for the poor or something like that. Um, and, you know, his motorcade is given, like, a, a red carpet to drive on. It was like a red carpet that spanned, I don't know, however many kilometers or whatever it was, to drive to the event to open up, you know, really? social housing. Yeah, something like that. But, I mean, it was a, the pictures were insane. It was, this, it was this red carpet that was, like, hundreds of meters long, and 
you know, wide enough for a very large SUV to still look very comfortable, driving to this event to give out free housing or whatever it was. I mean, you just, you can't make this up. I mean, why bother watching TV shows when you can just read the press? <laughs> Wait, it's, it's happening here to a degree too, isn't it? Well, I mean, we, not that bad, but yeah. No, definitely. not that bad, to a degree. Like, there, I mean, there's like these amazing fake stories. There was this one, there was one that was, I'm not sure if it was in Sabah, it was in Akshan, maybe in Sabah too, that it was actually really funny. That um, Gulen and an MP from the opposition party CHP were plotting to assassinate Erdogan's daughter, hmm. but they were somehow doing this over Twitter. Hmm. And these Probably. newspapers, they claimed they got the Twitter like it was DMs, it was like private messages. So they got the private messages, and you read the private messages, it's like amazing. It's like, hey, so are we gonna get a CIA guy or a Mossad guy? Nice. They're like, no, the Mossad isn't that good. Let's get a CIA guy. Okay, like he's coming. They're like giving all the details. Has the eagle landed? <laughs> You're like, no, it's it not hasn't. even that. It's like, <laughs> so the CIA person will assassinate. Yeah. Oh my god. And there was another one very recently, like a couple of weeks ago, maybe last week, about these like apparently they got these PKK guys talking on their walk radios about the about the Ankara bombing. And there about the Ankara bombing that was that um, at the time everybody thought it was PKK, but Erdogan was saying it's um, PYD. Or something like that. And so these guys are talking and they're like, So hey man, do you know who did this? It's like, do you know who did this? Yes, it's PYD, but don't tell anyone. Mm. And you should forget it right now because it's really secret. <laughs> It's not just secret. It's top secret. <laughs> top secret. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> oh my gosh! But there, what is this world coming to? But they're they're, they're starting to, to to like demonize the Western press here too, aren't they? Yeah, I, mean, I, feel, I feel like it's getting. I mean, it's always sort of been there, but probably even you know for other governments too. But I think it's. I do it does feel like it's it's just kind of like ratcheting up. I mean, it is. I mean, the thing is, look, I I run into this like. I, it's they are doing it and it's also really affecting your life like it happened to me so many times that like policeman stops you especially in southeast and they're like you work for foreign media and when you say yes they're like you're a spy but so you're like but where's that coming from so like okay so you're feeling it on the ground like we said we felt in egypt right like i was i was arrested i was arrested by police in egypt it's not an egyptian level here but it's like getting there but i'm saying what what what's the reason for that? Like, what what's happening to make the, the police or the people who are like what? I mean, it's so what's happening in the media to to make them think that foreign? It's the whole thing. It first, I think it kind of started with Erdogan starting this war against New York Times and the Economist before the elections. Started a war, meaning he, he like he was them using them in his speeches all the time about how. They are working against him. They're lying, blah, blah blah, all this stuff. And then all these pro pro government newspapers picked up on this and started. I mean, they like started making articles, literally ridiculing journalists, like individual journalists. They would start attacking individual journalists. Individual, like yeah, like, but you know, reporters I mean, from like from New York Times, you know, they could define like a. I mean, look, I'm no Turkish expert. Like, I've never ever written article on Turkish domestic politics but the thing is is that one thing that I, I think holds true throughout the region is never underestimate anybody's ego I actually know people I actually know like Turkish journalists who thinks that like 
like, like, like the New York Times works the same way as Subway. I mean, this this well, like, yeah. yeah. I mean, explain people that no, you don't get a call from the government. You don't get a call from Obama. To the newsroom. The other problem is that we get is that we legitimately from yeah, time to time like we we have there are some like abjectly bad Western journalistic uh, articles that that like kind yeah. of make the the point for the propagandists. Like we had, we had an article like this week in the New York Times saying that you know comparing Erdogan to Gaddafi and it's like when something like that comes out as a journalist here I'm reading it and I'm like holy fuck like this is gonna kill us because. Mm-hmm. It's in the, you know it's in the New York Times and it's like it reads like a propaganda piece and you you know you know that the New York Times is like on a whole a, a newspaper that's trying to do real journalism but like you know also that the propagandists here who are who are embarking this campaign against Western press can take an article like that and use it to represent all of the Western media and say look how can you say these people don't have an agenda they're comparing Erdogan to Gaddafi one of the most murderous dictators of all time you know yeah. Yeah. And it's like it's like uh, I, I I just think there's like in a situation like this with Turkey like there's very little room for error like that when you have a campaign against the Western press and then you you know you have you have you have very effective propagandists here and they can take an article like that and just use it to like really good effect I mean I I almost like when that article came out on Friday I could see like the glee of like Turkish pro government people like they were happy they weren't upset about that article they were like yeah. Here we go. Like we can use this it's for the on. next year. Like here we like this is gonna make our job so fucking easy, and it did. I mean, the article was so so ridiculous. I didn't read like, it. It could not be. I mean, it's, it's a, <laughs> how do you? I'm like, I don't I mean, know was, how would someone even come up with this? <laughs> it was it was so out of control. It's it, not written. I mean, not written by the the New York Times is a great journalist in Turkey. It was written by somebody in like London. Yeah, obviously. Who has, who's actually who's who's been to Turkey as a journalist? I have no idea. No, it, it, the byline was London. It was like <laughs> it was like man in London thinks Erdogan is Gaddafi, and you're like, oh boy. <laughs> but it's like you know, but but there's there's such like a it's it's it's really. I mean, it's, I I know you when was, you haven't been here in a, in a few months, right? Like. It's got it's gotten so bad here lately. It got, it got really serious. In the like it's got, it's gotten really nasty with like with like people just in in Turkey making a campaign of demonizing the foreign press because like, it's like if you're reading you know there's crackdowns in in Turkey against people for insulting Erdogan. There's journalists are going to jail for different things. There's taking overs of newspapers. Like those are the kind of things that they can do to control the local press, and it works. It's like. It's like the same thing with like Trump, like you know the calculation that you were pointing out. Like the press, the, the Western press, the, the international press is going to be here, you know, mm-hmm. at least for now. You can't stop them. You can't like take them over. You can't appoint a government administrator unless it's like a podcast to to to run like the New York Times or the Washington Post or whatever. You can just discredit them and demonize them. To make sure that anything they report is not going to be <coughs> taken seriously by like your your voter base. But you know and what that's what's happening, and, and it's been like on overdrive. Little little do they realize is that this is okay. This might work to a certain point in their domestic agendas, but what happens is like this is kind of like what's happening in Egypt too. Like then you don't have any foreign press. People don't stay there. People don't live there. People don't stay there. Yeah. And then, I mean, that, I mean, that's like and, and, then, right. and, then, and then you're like parachute journalism. Then you have like. Then your image is like, oh man, I went to, you know, it's like I went to Cairo. 
for like three days and it's super exclusive and it was so dangerous and like yeah. you know what I mean it's, well, I mean, Daniel, wanna... Daniel Kampf's images. Yeah, like I, I, like I, yeah, I always want to like check back in with like the propagandist assholes in Cairo and be like, "Are you happy?" Like, no, they're not happy. They're starting like to slowly nothing, like descend. There is no positive news story about Egypt ever, and there won't be. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, hey, AIDS, they cured it. Well, yeah. They saw, I mean, I mean, that was great, though. We have to <laughs> thank you, CC, for carrying it. Thank you, CC. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean. I don't know. I mean, that's the thing is that if you if you want to live in this globalized world and you want to be part of the EU, I don't even know if they really want to be part of the EU. Turkey wants to be part of the EU, but if you want to benefit from business and a global reputation, then you have to, you know, be able to welcome press. And I mean, maybe that's why they haven't really, you know, there's threats. And they talk well, maybe not threats, but they talk about the New York Times in a disparaging way. In yeah, they're not media. threats. They're just they're just demon, um, demonization. So but, far. But they, just, they realize but, that they can't really. But like, lock but like you one said with Brian, like it, it, like like you mentioned, like your husband getting uh, a hard time with like an Egyptian police officer because he said, "Oh, you're Western press. You must be like the Israeli spy." Then yeah, even though. But but it, that kind of thing is like happening to foreign journalists in Turkey now. I mean, a, a friend of ours, he got stopped for like the most ridiculous. And this is reason. this is new. It's very new. It's I mean, not happening. Friend of ours got stopped for the like, most ridiculous reasons, and the police officer told him, looking at his press card, he said, "There are bad people in the government who gives press cards to spies." Wow! <laughs> you know I mean? And this is not this is yeah. not a government yeah. policy. It's like one crazy cop. Yes, but when well, well, like, the other right. like, crazy. Down. Yeah. Like, it, it, by the way, like in the end, like the government helped him get out of the problem. Like they don't they don't want they didn't want that to happen. It was like a government directed thing. It's just like. This propaganda yeah. is like is like actually affecting. Can I, make, can I make one observation to close this out? Sure. Speaking of like Middle Eastern crazy coming into America, the uh, I saw a tweet yesterday from a correspondent for the Guardian mm. who covers U.S. politics, and it said, "Spoke to my cab driver in Chicago this morning. Said he was going to vote Sanders before the." Trump rally violence. Now he's voting Trump. Wow. And I was like, this is America now, right? Like, like correspondents are quoting taxi drivers about, <laughs> about, about the political unrest. <laughs> I think we're, it's over. America's done. It's globalization, man. That's it, man. It's like, globalization, man. Nobody told my Thomas Friedman lives, Friedman lives, lives on. Yeah. Thomas Friedman, Friedman's like, in Like, what are we doing in Istanbul? Let's get the fucking Chicago, guys. Like, yeah. I mean, wow. Wow. I think we should just, maybe I think the next Istanbul boom, you guys should just take it on the road. Like, various cab drivers, various cities. Across that's American now, depending like, on your budget. You're like this shit's fucking dangerous. What's up, cabbie? <laughs> <laughs> Too afraid to go out there. Wow. Toupees and dictators. <laughs> Toupees and dictators. <laughs> dictators. Well, I mean, well, or you could do the takbir and tabernacle, and you could just you could just hyphenate it to be takbirnacle. <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> it's the extremes. Took beer knock on. Is that a bad joke? That was. Like... <laughs> <laughs> <laughs> All right, that couldn't be a higher note to <laughs> close this. I guess. Um, good night, everyone. See you next week or the week after that. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>